Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. According to frontline mission agencies, there are over 17,000 people groups in the world. About 40% of them are considered to be unreached by the gospel. That means that Christians from outside their culture have to reach them. Connecting with people from different cultures and languages is always challenging. Stay with us as we discuss how the Apostle Paul adapted his approach presenting the gospel to people with vastly different worldviews. On our panel today, we have Kylie Fisher and Kate Simpson. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Before we start our, our discussion today, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we are commissioned to take the gospel to the world, and we thank you that the Bible gives us an example in Acts 17 of how Paul reached the Athenians. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us and give us and our viewers wisdom as we discuss Paul's approach. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are called to take the gospel to people who have either nothing or very little in common with our religious beliefs and values. This can be daunting, particularly if they are hostile to Christianity. So then how do we approach this challenge? The Apostle Paul is a great example for us to study. Paul adapted his approach to connect with his listeners. I just want to read now a bit of Paul's background so we get um, the flavour of who Paul was. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 3 to 6. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now that's a lot of words basically saying that Paul could be putting his uh, faith in the flesh, but he doesn't. And verse 5 says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul would be best described as a true blue Jew. Um, and if anyone was qualified to reach the Jews, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But God gave Paul a different mission uh, uh, for his evangelism. What was that, Kylie? Yeah, it's really interesting how God doesn't always um, give us the job that we would choose for ourselves. Um, so, yes, often he gives us a different job that we might find more challenging. And as you were reading there, Paul was um, persecuting the Jews, uh, persecuting, sorry, the mm. Christians, um, because he believed that that was that the Christian faith was contrary to the Jewish faith. And when he was on the road to Damascus, suddenly he saw that bright light. He was converted. He was blind for three days. And then God appeared in a vision to um, a man called Ananias and told him to go to Paul and say that Paul would receive his sight again. And Ananias said, God, is this what you really want me to do? This man's been persecuting Christians. And but this is what God said to him in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So that was God's mission for Paul. He was specially chosen to be um, the apostle to the Gentiles. And we've also got another verse that we can read um, about that, Acts chapter 13 and verse 47. For so has the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So that was the mission that God gave to Paul. And he faithfully fulfilled that mission for 30 years, mm. about 30 years. Yeah. It's interesting that even though God gave him a special mission to the, the Gentiles, it didn't stop him also preaching to the Jews, did it, Kate? No, it didn't. We see that in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9. I'm just going to read that here. It says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So this is immediately after his conversion that Kylie was just telling us about. And he's right here in the synagogues preaching to the Jews because the Jews were steeped in the law. They were very much fully immersed in it. That was their whole their life and breath. That was everything they thought about and spoke about, really. And so Paul's approach was to show, to show them from the scriptures that Christ was the Messiah. Um, and he basically he met them where they were at and he offered an alternative um, interpretation of what they were already familiar with. Mm, OK. Well, look, let's turn now to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, we find that uh, Paul is actually in Greece and he's on one of his uh, missionary journeys. So, Kylie, how did he get to Greece? Give us the background to that story. Yeah, so um, he went on this. He'd already been on one missionary journey with Barnabas. Um, but then on the sec second missionary journey, he was with another man, Silas. And um, they also picked up Timothy along the way. And so then um, he actually came first to Thessalonica. And that's in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. When they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So we see him there um, witnessing again to the Jews, but they didn't all like the things that he said and trouble arose. And so he had to flee actually from there. And he went to Athens and um, Timothy and Silas were to follow him. Then in um, verses 16 and 17 of Acts chapter 17, while Paul waited for them, that's um, Silas and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So he was trying to reach both Jews and Gentiles. Mm. Now, it seems like you mentioned his ministry is around 30 years. At this particular point in Acts 17, he's what been out in ministry for about, what, 15 years, I think it is. Mm. So you would think at this point in time, he's learned a few things about how to uh, deal with the, 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 the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Yeah. Um, you mentioned also that he, he was in the market. Now, that word market's interesting could you sort of give us a bit of background on that, Kate? Yeah, sure. So market is the word agora in Greek, and it means a place where the people would have assembled for like public debating, elections, um, trials, buying and selling, business transactions, you know, all that kind of social things. It was the social centre of the city, really. And Paul, when he was spending time here, he was observing the culture. He was kind of just hanging out with them, observing how they did things. 
and he would have been hearing the professional and amateur Greek philosophers also debating because you know this was a place they would come and have their discussions and he would have been listening to all of that and you know picking up what do they think about this and what do they think about that and we'll read a verse in first Corinthians um, chapter 1 verse 22 it said for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom so the Greeks, they were placing a lot of emphasis on seeking wisdom. And Paul was listening to all of this in this marketplace, the social center of the city. So Paul was sort of connecting what did he have which he could offer mm. to enhance their wisdom. Yeah. Yes. OK. Mm. I'll read verse 18 because verse 18 um, carries the story forward. It says, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seems to be a set of forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, it's interesting. He hung out there to, to see their culture, to sort of see what they were doing, what was making them tick. But he also was preaching, wasn't he? Mm. And it's also, we know that Paul could speak Greek. And we also know that if ever you want to connect with a foreign culture, if you learn to speak their language, even if they know you, you're speaking it badly, they, they warm to you because you can at least speak their language. Mm. So he could speak Greek and also he was preaching, he was preaching Jesus. And they, this was foreign to their ears. So they called him a babbler. And um, in verse 19, it talks about they then decided from this experience to take him to Areopagus. So, so Kylie, what's Areopagus? Yeah, so verse 19, they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is. And um, actually, I've got a marginal note for that in my Bible, which says um, it was the court of the Areopagites. So it's actually a kind of a place. It wasn't like a law court in the sense that Paul was, you know, going to be tried and put on trial, which he was sort of obviously later in his life. But this was a place where people went. Um, it was actually on Mars Hill and they actually went there to hear some new and strange thing. Um, talks about that in verse 21, all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So it was it was a new place and it was kind of, um, I guess, a bit more of a prestigious place where Paul could present the ideas that he'd started to talk about in the marketplace. Yes, it's interesting. It calls it Areopagus. Now, Ares was the, god of, the Greek god of war. The equivalent mm. was Mars and they called it Mars Hill because the, the Romans, uh, sorry, the Greek god of war was Mars. Sorry, the Greek god of war was Arius, but the Roman god was Mars. Mm. They called it Mars Hill. And Ares was the son of Zeus and Hera, which were the, were the king and queen of the gods. So this is an important god. This is an important mm. place. And we've got a picture of the scene here. Paul is taken to this place where I guess the, um, the prestigious of society are hanging out and he has the opportunity of talking about the gospel, presenting the gospel. Um, they know nothing of Jesus. So the, how he does this is really what we're going to be discussing, the, mm. the genius of Paul in connecting. What was his tactic? How did he do this? His okay. tactic. Well, I was just going to mention as well on the subject of notes, my Bible said it was the highest court in Athens, this place that he was at. So 
very prestigious place. Quite an opportunity Paul has here. And we'll read verse 22 and 23, still in Acts chapter 17. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So Paul, he's got this great opportunity. He connects with his listeners by commending them. So superstitious, that word, it means more religious. So he was commending their religion, their spirituality. He didn't launch straight into the gospel as some expert on it, but he found an area that, you know, had some common ground. And he showed that he understood the people and he cared for them by complimenting something that he could find off familiar ground. Yeah, yeah he was finding, trying to find that common point mm. where he could get a rapport, a connection, mm. as you say. So how does he make that con- connection to witness for God? Uh, what do you think, Kylie? Yeah, so he comments on the inscription, um, that inscription to the unknown God. And so, yeah, rather than just um, trashing their ideas of spirituality. Instead, he sort of commends them and says, you know, yeah, this is really great. And 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 that's the bridge that he um, that he uses to build um, that. That's the way that he builds the bridge to them. He says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. So he connects what he's going to say with with what they're already doing. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, that um, to the unknown God, the Greeks worshipped hundreds, some people say the thousands of gods. Mm. So you could understand the mindset, well, there's so many, or maybe I better have a, <laughs> an unknown God uh, statue out there just in case I've missed one. Yeah. And as you say, he, he connects with that, the fact that they're spiritual, and, um, but spiritual in a pagan sense, I guess, or maybe not pagan, but mm. spiritual in the sense they're, they're worshipping false gods. Mm. How did, once he's got their attention, how does he turn that, that uh, attention to the gospel? How does he mm. do that? Let's keep reading. So we've got verse 24 and 25 now, which I'll read here in Acts 17. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So to understand um, these verses, we need to understand a bit of the culture. So these are the Greeks. They're steeped in Greek mythology. They're gods that were unpredictable, self-centered. Um, so Paul's words here were very intriguing to them. You know, he's presenting a, a completely opposite idea of what they would have thought. This is the idea of a creator God who doesn't live in a temple, it says here. Um, he needs nothing from humans. He gives life and supplies human needs. And the people of Areopagus, as they listened to these words, they would have taken little baby steps toward this God of love just by hearing these words and you know, entertaining the idea. Mm. Most of the Greek gods were exploitative and punitive towards mankind. Mm. And they were having fights amongst themselves. If you look at Greek mythology, it's um, very, very different. Mm. And you could sort of see how a caring God would really be something, a revelation for them. Mm. Of course, Paul taps in that. Let's keep reading. Um, We're going to read verses 26 and 27 of Acts 17. And says, verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. 
why does Paul dwell on this point that we're all from one source, that all mankind is of one source and one blood? Why do you think that is, mm. uh, Kylie? Yeah, so I think um, Romans 1 and verse 14 gives us some insight on that. Um, so Romans 1 and verse 14 says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So here, um, Romans obviously being a letter written by Paul, but he talks about the Greeks and the barbarians. So the Athenians actually had a bit of a superiority complex and they considered that if you weren't, you know, a Greek, they, they called um, other people who weren't barbarians. And so, yeah, they, um, they thought that they were better than other people. But Paul, by using their own poets, sort of says, you know, we're all of one blood. God is our creator. He's created all to be equal. Um, so yeah, you know, a superiority complex. I mean, that's that's just the opposite attitude to Christianity, which calls us to, you know, humility and service. Yeah, yes, mm. indeed. Question for you, Kate. He, he's connected with his audience, but he now takes it further. How does he do that? Let's see that in verse 28 here. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So Paul is saying that this unknown God, he's not just the creator who made everything and then departed and disappeared. He's the God who actively sustains everything and cares for his creation. You know, all activities are sustained by God. And the point here, for we are also his offspring, he's showing that this is a God who wants to have a relationship with us and he's a God that can be known by us. Yes, indeed. And it mentions their poets. What impact, you mentioned poets earlier, mm. Kylie, what impact do you think Paul made with his listeners when he now starts referring to their, their poets? Yeah, so, and as Kate was reading earlier on, that the Greeks seek after wisdom. So the fact that Paul actually is acquainted with their poets, mm. um, yeah, to me, if I was listening to that, I'd think, well, you know, he's not just somebody that's, you know, some ignorant um, mm. Jewish rabbi. He clearly understands um, these other philosophies and yet he's chosen... Um, you know, this, this philosophy that he's telling us about the Christian religion, he's, he's chosen that above these other ones. So I think that that would have impressed them with, um, you know, and, and helped to build that bridge and that connection with them. Mm. Yeah. So he's got this bridge now. It would have impressed them because they valued knowledge very highly. They would have figured out Paul was a very knowledgeable person. Yeah. He knew their poets. So he had their attention. How does he now connect to the gospel? Mm, this is where it gets fun. So we'll read verse 29 to 31 now. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God, wink, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So he had their attention. He'd made his point about God being personal, about God being able to be known. And then he told them about the resurrection of Jesus and how he'd been resurrected and how his resurrection gives us hope. And so this hope that we have in Jesus because of his resurrection, that was the theme. And this was the point that he was now bringing across to his listeners. So all these listeners who value wisdom and knowledge, mm. they've now just heard the resurrection. 
How do they react to that? Uh, Kylie, what's your view on that? Yeah, so let's have a look in Acts chapter, again, Acts chapter 17 and verses 32 to 34. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So we can see that there was a range of reactions there. Um, So some of them mocked. Um, They thought that that was just a ridiculous idea, you know, because they all believed in the immortality of the soul. So this idea about someone being resurrected from the dead just was complete nonsense to them. Um, But others said they wanted to hear more and there were some that did believe. But the key point is that they all now um, had the opportunity to make an intelligent decision because they'd listened to what Paul said. So I think that that's really the key point. And, and from that, we can also pick up from ourselves that we also have to remember that when we're giving the gospel, uh, not to take it personally, if mm. people hear what we have to say, but then say, no, not for me, no thanks. Mm. Um, mm. Paul has gone out of his way here to, to find a, a connection, which he's done. And he's in the highest sort of uh, court or audience in the land. He's, he's made his connection. He's given his, I guess, his pitch, which is the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. And some did and some didn't. Some did uh, uh, accept and some didn't. I just wonder whether Paul would have been, um, how Paul would have felt with those that didn't. Mm. The point here is that they all made a decision based on an informed set of information. It wasn't that they made a decision. They weren't told. They knew what they were dealing with. Mm. And they said that um, they, some said they didn't. So from Paul's example, how do, we, how do we approach this? Let's sort of take a step back now. We've just read what Paul's mm. done mm. and he's, he's had some success here. How do we then apply that to us today? Because we have to go out into the community. We meet people who some people have never even heard of Jesus, wouldn't have a clue. Mm. And yet we have to deal with them and to take the gospel. What's some of the takeaways that we, we can get from this? Yeah. What do you think, Kate? This is where it starts to get pretty practical. So we, judging, I mean, learning from Paul's example, you start by getting to know the people, learning about their culture, their worldview of your target audience. Like, what are they like? What do they think? Where do they hang out? What are their beliefs on things? Really get to understand them. And, you know, how would you do this? Well, pretty simple. You just place yourself where they go. This could be social media. Um, it could be like, you know, in the cafe, on the beach, wherever you'd go with your friends and wherever you want to meet these people that you want to um, reach out to, even things like shopping centres. All of this gives you an idea of what the people are like that you're wanting to get to know and to reach. And, um, yeah, you want to research their beliefs and concerns. Just find out what are they thinking, what's on their mind. And once you really understand what they think, then you can better meet their needs with the gospel because, you know, you really need to understand what the problem or the issue is before you can offer a solution because otherwise how do you know your solution's actually mm. appropriate for the situation so really get to know them first that's like mm. the most fundamental step that paul demonstrated so in, in, a, in a sense we're immersing ourselves into the world of the audience that we want mm. to somehow connect with mm. so once we've done that we do spend time in the marketplace and look these days the marketplace i mean the modern generation the marketplace is is social media yeah. and that's how they're communicating. In my day, it was slightly different. So, 
But once you've worked out where people are connecting and meeting, you've got to immerse yourself in that and try and find out how we can do that. Mm. So once we've um, done that, we've done our preparation, what do we do then, Kylie? What's yeah, so, and I think, you know, when we're looking at our target audience, we're not just, you know, going to these places to just sort of engage and in sin, mm. but we're doing it with that specific purpose to look for that common element that we can use. And once we've done that, then we need to sort of figure out, you know, how am I going to make a bridge from that to the gospel? Mm. So, yeah, look at moving sort of from the known to the unknown and also oh, like it's a recognised educational principle, actually. And um, also to um, find ways of building their trust. Um, so, yeah, once we sort of realise what things they like um, and, you know, what things we can in good conscience join in with, then we can use those sorts of things to build trust, build up that rapport and then make the bridge to the gospel. And do you think this, this doing our preparation to get this, to build these bridges, does that take five minutes? What do you think? <laughs> no. You've got to put the time in, don't you? Yeah. It's a commitment. It's a big commitment to put that time in. Mm. What, else, what else is key here? The, less, the, the story in Acts 17 doesn't really go into this, but this is really important for us today. What is the key to any witnessing that we do? What do you think, Kylie? What's your... Uh, yeah, so I'd like to read 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2 and verse 4. Um, here Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So really without um, the Holy Spirit, I mean, even though Paul spoke to the Athenians, he was quoting their poets and all of this sort of thing, but you know, we can do all of that. We can do all of our homework. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit to really send that truth home, it's not going to make any difference. It's, you know, we're not just um, like a salesman that's selling, you know, some secular product. If mm. you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's not going to reach the person's heart. Yeah. I'll add to that with a verse from Zechariah. Um, chapter four, verse six, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We, we really need this power to unite with us. And Paul was an excellent demonstration of that, just bringing it back home. Yes, indeed. And, you know, when we think about the, um, the Holy Spirit, it's all very good to say we need the Holy Spirit, but we have to, at least on our homework, the information's got to be in here mm. and the Holy Spirit has this way of bringing it out in the right way. Yeah. Um, our words can be uh, put into a way that the listeners can understand or can accept. Without that Holy Spirit, we may say things, we may have all the knowledge, but we may say things which comes out completely wrong or <laughs> offensive or rude or culturally wrong. Mm. This is why it's key to have that, ask for the Holy Spirit to, um, mm. to uh, uh, give us those words and that approach. Mm to speak that word in season, the Bible mm. says. Yeah. And also the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one. And if you're really inspired by love, then you've got the words to speak to someone and, and they can tell as well that it's really coming yeah. from your heart. And, and the only way you can do this connecting with people in other cultures, God's got to put on your heart the value that he places on a soul. When we have that love for souls that Christ had, we'll want to go across those cultural divides to try and connect with people. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, uh, Kate. Thank you, Kylie, for your discussion. Well, look, all of us are influenced and limited by the assumptions of our cultures and worldviews. And for us to present the gospel to those with vastly different views, 
We have to do our homework to find that bridge of common interest so that we can address their needs and win their favour. And we need to be flexible, resourceful and open-minded in regard to new and, and even unfamiliar approaches to God's mission. The key to our witnessing is to always ask the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. Thank you for joining us today on Let God Speak. All past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au and join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.